Welcome to a special Global Guessing podcast episode. Almost two weeks ago, the world became aware of a troubling new variant of SARS-CoV-2, which we now call Omicron. Immediately, the new variant raised all sorts of red flags within the scientific community and caused reverberations in public policy as well as in financial markets. However, how should we understand the variant, and could forecasting play a role in filtering signal from noise? To get a grasp on this, we asked Global Guessing alum, Good Judgment Open Super Forecaster, and Metaculous Analyst Juan Cambiero, who's pursuing a master's in public health policy at Columbia, to join us for a conversation about the Omicron variant and to walk us through his recent Metaculous article featuring his analysis of the variant as well as five forecasts about it. Uh, Juan's article on Metaculous was phenomenally well written, in my opinion. It did a great job of condensing a large amount of information that we know about the variant and packaged it very neatly through the perspective of these five forecasts. The five forecasts Juan gave is that there is a greater than 90% chance Omicron overtakes Delta in early 2022, and most likely by January 16th. He gave a 91% chance that the US, UK, or EU will authorize an Omicron-specific booster before 2023, as well as forecasting that the r naught of this variant, according to the mean estimate of the first relevant systematic review, would be 6.5. In addition, he also gave two more forecasts giving a 20% likelihood that Omicron will be more lethal than Delta and only an 11% likelihood that it'll be less lethal. Given Juan's background, including his first place finish in IARPA's focus tournament on COVID-19 forecasting and his former first place position as the top COVID forecaster on Good Judgment Open, we feel his perspective and means of determining signal from noise to bring immense value. That's why in this podcast, I'll be joined by Mikhail Dubrowski, to learn how Juan analyzed and understood the variant, chosen forecasted these five questions, and what key signals he's determined and what he's looking out for in the future. We'll also ask him how policymakers should operationalize the information from these forecasts and what actions they should take, as well as consider what new forecasting questions might be useful to understand the variant's progression into the future. Without further ado, let's get started. So Juan, I'm curious if you can share with us how you got up to speed on the Omicron variant once it started to emerge. What sources did you look at? What information were you trying to prioritize? Uh, I assume, you know, the mutation profile of the new variant was very important to you. Uh, but in order to sort of do these forecasts and get a perspective on what this variant might uh, might mean for the pandemic, uh, what was your approach in terms of formulating your base understanding? Right. Yeah. So um, the first and most concerning signal was something you just mentioned, which is the mutation profile of Omicron. Um, so relative to all other variants of concern that have arisen, Omicron really is a, a step, a huge step change in uh, what we've seen in the evolutionary history of this virus so far. It's vastly different from all the other variants, including Delta. Um, so that raised a key concern that it might result in substantial immune erosion, uh, especially since there are so many changes in the spike protein specifically, which is the target of uh, vaccines. And then secondly, um, there are very good experts both in South Africa and outside South Africa who are very quick to identify the potential of this uh, variant to erode immunity and to become predominant globally. Um, oftentimes, they, these experts won't make explicit probabilistic forecasts, um, but 
their key sources of information in defining what this new variant is and uh, I, helping us understand its characteristics. Um, so what they were saying also really raised the alarm to me and others. So your article does a really good job explaining uh, why, based on the current information we have, the Omicron variant is so worrying for the future of the pandemic. But you also note at the start that we're only two weeks into this new variant, and so there's a lot of uncertainty. How do you think about uncertainty when it comes to this variant, and how do you factor in that uncertainty when you're trying to get an understanding and trying to make forecasts about uh, how this variant will 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 shape the pandemic? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's worth separating out the different uncertainties that we have, um, some of which are much more uncertain than others. Uh, so for instance, at this point, although people are very interested in the question, and I think we'll get to this later on, but we know very little about uh, the relative lethality of Omicron, just because so many of the cases as part of this new fourth wave in South Africa have not progressed to hospitalizations or deaths yet. So there's very little we can say. But of what we do know, um, both the trajectory in terms of new cases in South Africa, coupled with the overtaking of Delta by Omicron, um, and then yes, its, its mutation profile and its predicted impact on immune evasion, um, we can say a lot that should concern us. Yeah, so just separating those out, like saying, um, yeah, the trajectory and the mutation profile have reason to make us very concerned. Uh, we can extrapolate from the mutation profile and say that there will be a big hit to efficacy, especially um, the efficacy of vaccines as mediated by antibody immunity, uh, which will be key to uh, preventing and has been key to preventing infection and um, protection against symptomatic disease. So there's some hope, for instance, that T cell immunity will be less affected. Uh, but yeah, just from the mutation profile alone, we can predict um, immune evasion, especially um, evasion of antibodies. So before we move specifically into the forecast, I'm curious if you could just sort of summarize the image of the Omicron variant and what it means for the pandemic uh, through the interpretation of these five forecasts that you give, that there's more than a 90% chance that it overtakes Delta in early 2022, that there's a 91% chance that we'll see an Omicron-specific booster before 2023 being authorized, that the r naught is 6.5, and that there's a 20% chance it's more lethal and 11% chance it's less lethal than Delta. Uh, what do these forecasts uh, reveal about what the Omicron variant might mean for the pandemic? Yeah, so what this says is that we don't necessarily have to wait for uh, neutralization data, which we would expect um, some results on in the next week or two. And we definitely shouldn't wait for real world efficacy data, which will take many weeks, maybe even months, uh, just because it already seems so likely that um, what we already know about Omicron means that it will indeed become predominant and that it will result in a big hit to immunity. Um, so the expected value of acting now to for instance, uh, start making Omicron-specific boosters is enormous. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there are no certainties here, right? Like, this might be, I might be greatly mistaken. And um, like, there is that less than 10% chance that Omicron doesn't end up taking off. 
in early 2022 in the US and the rest of the um, world. And it might not result in a substantial hit to immunity, but it, this seems like by far the most likely scenario and we should act accordingly. I'm curious. So when we're talking about vaccines, are you aware of the concept of human challenge trials and the work they're doing over at One Day Sooner? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the idea of human challenge trials, right? Exactly. So for our listeners, the basic concept of challenge trials is a way to speed up the vaccine approval and testing process. Uh, so early on, you can, instead of you know doing these large trials where you're waiting for people to get infected uh, to test the efficacy of the vaccine, you can sign up people who you know fit a certain risk profile. Uh, you can give them the vaccine and then intentionally uh, expose them to the virus and then get much quicker uh, and very valuable information on vaccine efficacy and other sorts of traits about it. And so I'm curious your thoughts in terms of whether or not we should be using that when dealing with Omicron to get out specific boosters. And I'm also curious if you've, you know, heard about, you know, some people have said that focusing on Omicron specific boosters might make us less prepared uh, should another similar, similarly divergent uh, variant like Omicron appear elsewhere in the world and that those vaccines wouldn't be as effective. So I'm also curious to get your thoughts. Uh, yeah, on great. That. So. Uh, starting with the potential role for human challenge trials. Um, so assuming that regulatory agencies like the US FDA insist on seeing some uh, efficacy data for Omicron specific boosters, which I'm sure they'll insist on, I don't think they should insist on it. I think they should just go ahead and act now based on what we already know. But yeah, it's likely they'll insist on that. And given that um, it seems like human challenge trials would give us results much sooner than waiting for real-world efficacy data. Um, so given how regulatory agencies are likely considering this um, and the data they want to see, I would be in favor of human challenge trials in this case. Um, the only concern there uh, would be, for instance, in the U.S., I think it would be very uh, time-consuming to get a human challenge trial to get off the ground, but in yeah. the UK, it seems like there's been some success in getting them off the ground. So hopefully the UK can do something on that front. Um, and then uh, as to your second question, yeah, so um, there's this point that's been brought up that Omicron-specific boosters may not protect as well against, um, may not boost immunity specific to non-Omicron variants. Uh, but our first concern in this case is if we think Omicron is going to become predominant globally and will remain predominant globally for the next couple of months, then we should, of course, <laughs> go ahead and protect against it in particular. And if need be later on, we need to boost against a different variant that emerges in late 2022 or early 2023, then we'll go ahead and boost against that too. I mean, our main concern at the moment should be Omicron and we shouldn't be thinking about the potential for a variant more similar to Delta, for instance, emerging again, um, which in any case seems like it would be less likely. Like if new variants emerge in the future and become predominant after Omicron, um, it's difficult to say, very difficult to say what their mutation profile would be, but I would think it's more likely that the mutation profile would be closer to that of Omicron than Delta or uh, the um, original wild type uh, uh, virus that emerged in early 2020. 
So now I want to move and talk specifically about some of the forecasts that you made in this wonderful article. Uh, and starting off on sort of a very high level is how did you choose which questions to forecast? Um, Metaculus got up uh, a series of questions about the Omicron variant, uh, which were written by yourself, Nathan Young, myself, as well as a lot of other great people. Uh, and I think we did a really great job uh, in terms of getting up questions really quickly. Uh, while some prediction markets had one or two questions up earlier than Metaculus, I felt that the community did a really good job getting up a series of high-impact questions really quickly, uh, but you didn't end up forecasting all of them. Uh, how did you triage which, which questions to answer, uh, and how did you select for which questions would be the most high-impact? Yeah, so um, if it were, if I had more time, um, I would have included all of the questions that we had uh, written together. And again, uh, just to reemphasize that um, the writing of uh, some of these questions was collaborative and the Metaculous community has been absolutely wonderful and like getting on this really fast and starting to write questions accordingly. It's been fantastic to see. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I wanted to, so I, I first thought of like the different relative, uh, the different uncertainties involved. Um, so the uh, trajectory of Omicron, the mutation profile, uh, extent of immune evasion, transmission fitness, and lethality. And then I wanted to find, if possible, at least one question uh, for each of those. Um, so that, that's how I went about choosing which questions I, uh, I included in the article. And so now I think it's time to dig into each of the specific forecasts you made and understand how you forecasted them. So starting off with the first question, when will Omicron become the dominant SARS-CoV-2 variant in the U.S., you gave a greater than 90% chance it would overtake Delta in early 2022, your most likely date being January 16th. Um, you gave a very similar forecast to the Metaculus. However, you were more aggressive in terms of when it would happen and also made a much lower likelihood that uh, it would never overtake the Delta variant. Um, how were you approaching this? Were you looking at how past COVID waves uh, overtook in the United States, how Omicron is behaving in South Africa? Uh, just could you walk us through that forecasting process? Yeah, so I mean... Uh... Well, firstly, the, the Metaculus community, uh, although, yeah, it does give a substantially higher probability to not overtaking um, Delta, uh, it, it's still only a 7% chance, um, whereas mine is, mine is a 4% chance, which is uh, indeed a lot lower. Um, but basically, my main consideration here is both how quickly it's overtaken Delta in uh, South Africa and how that seems to still be the case like it's still continuing to overtake delta um so for for reference in south africa uh delta took a couple of months um it depending on how you define overtaking um the previous predominant variant which was beta uh but yeah two to three months to overtake beta is the amount of time it took for delta um whereas for omicron it's taken all of one month to overtake delta and Delta was already, I mean, a lot of people said that Delta was the uh, peak fitness uh, that SARS-CoV-2 would ever achieve in, in terms of how transmissible it was just because it seemed to be so highly transmissible and is so highly transmissible, but Omicron just blew it out of the water in South Africa. 
Um, so that, that's my main consideration here uh, for the accelerated timeline. So did you take that 4x and multiply it in terms of how Delta grew in the United States, uh, or were you basing that off of how long Omicron was taking in South Africa to overtake Delta? So, right, yeah, mostly how long it took in South Africa. Um, so, okay. yep, yep, so about a month out. Uh, so, like, my, my median is... Uh, late January, early February. Um, and it's yeah. difficult to say exactly like when to start the clock because um, mm -hmm. it's hard to say when the, how the uh, first case of uh, Omicron being detected in South Africa compares to the first case being detected in the US compares in terms of where the prevalence is already at, at the time of that first detection. So yeah, they're not interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and, I'm, and, and I'm curious how that forecast works, because I know when Andrew and myself were forecasting for global gassing, uh, Alpha's uh, case growth within the United States, we had looked at the UK and Denmark and some other countries where we had early data on alpha growth and extrapolated that on the United States. And we ended up uh, being on the wrong side of maybe when it came to that question, because, you know, we didn't factor in certain geographic and other dynamics within the United States, which led for a longer takeover time. Uh, so that'll be very interesting to see. Um, I'm also curious if you have any thoughts on the super forecasters forecast coming out of Good Judgment Inc., which is about 70% of cases um, of, of a non-Delta variant making up cases in, in the United States. I think they gave an 84% chance between uh, January 16th and into mid-March. Does that sort of line up with your 50% forecast? Yeah, I think it's so, I mean... Yeah, just off the top of my head, I'm not sure how uh, the math translates, uh, considering uh, that's asking about, you said, a 70% um, prevalence, right? There, As opposed yeah. to, in this case, we're asking about 50% 50. 50 prevalence. But yeah, it sounds about right. Awesome. Well, you are a super forecaster, so that shouldn't be too surprising. Um, moving on to your, your second forecast in this article, you give a 91% chance that the US, UK, or EU will authorize an Omicron-specific booster before 2023, whereas the metaculous community uh, is giving it uh, an 80% chance, so 1 in 5 versus um, your sort of 1 in 10 that they don't authorize the booster. Uh, how did you reach this sort of confident forecast? Yeah, so this is more subjective than anything, given that there are no really relevant base rates. Um, I think, so the, the question asks uh, whether an Omicron-specific booster will be authorized in the US, UK, or EU. Um, so if you were to ask me about like an Omicron-specific booster being authorized before 2023 in the US specifically, it'd be considerably mm -hmm. lower than yep. 91%. But given that it's in any one of those three, I'm at 91%. Um, in particular, given that the UK is included, I think if any of these three um, governmental bodies end up authorizing an Omicron-specific booster, it'd be the UK, uh, given how it, how quickly um, and how willing it's been uh, to authorize COVID uh, treatments and uh, vaccines in the past. Um, but yeah, essentially, I think, like my, my key concern is the delay that it will the, the amount of time it will take for any one of these three to authorize an Omicron-specific booster, they probably will end up waiting for uh, lab neutralization data and real-world efficacy data, but we'll definitely have that well before 2023, 
um, and they'll still have, even if they take weeks to then consider that data and authorize a booster, um, it, it will still be well before 2023. So that's my thinking here. So now I'd like to turn our attention to your final three forecasts. What will the R not of Omicron be according to the first systematic review where you and Metaculus both gave a 6.5? Uh, as well as will the Omicron variant be more lethal or less lethal than Delta? In that case, you're at 20% on more lethal versus Metaculus's 29% forecast. And then there's a pretty big difference when it comes to less lethality, with you being at 11% and Metaculus being 52%. Uh, how did you approach these forecasts? Yeah, so you're right. I do differ uh, pretty substantially from the community here. Um, and my thinking largely when it comes to lethality is, A, we just don't know at this point. There's a lot of uncertainty, um, like a, a lot of forecasters and even experts are relying on these um, anecdotes coming out of South Africa, saying that it does seem to be more mild, but um, you, you have to take into consideration the fact that the uh, cases of Omicron in South Africa so far have mostly been in the young and uh, most people in South Africa have been infected with a variant of SARS-CoV-2 at this point. And so they do have some immunity at this point. Um, so it's not directly comparable to, for instance, mm. a naive individual being infected with Delta. Like what we want to know is given two individuals with um, either no immunity or like the same level of immunity and, you, and one is, has uh, Delta and one has Omicron, um, is the one with Omicron like significantly more or less likely to die as a result of being infected. Um, and in the past, what we've seen is that if anything with these new variants, there's been a, a slight increase in um, the, the lethality. So um, alpha in particular seems to, well, once you uh, uh, control for everything else, um, like age and comorbidities, comor uh, it does seem to be more lethal. Um, data is more unclear when it comes to Delta. But again, if anything, it does seem to be more lethal than previous variants. And I mean, it, it does kind of make sense because these, like part of the mechanisms by which these variants are thought to be more transmissible is because they result in a higher peak viral load, for instance, right? Um, so, I mean, you'd expect that that wouldn't have, <laughs> that, that, that would have a very uh, adverse impact on, on the um, body. So, I mean, again, if Omicron is, for instance, results in a higher peak viral load than Delta or whatever's making it more transmissible, you'd think that if anything, that would make it um, deadlier than uh, uh, Delta. But um, the likelihood is that there won't be a significant signal in either direction. Um, that's my view. Uh, the view of the metaculous community at large is that it's substantially more likely that it will be less deadly. Um, and yeah, that's based on these case reports coming out of South Africa that, I mean, I hope they pan out um, and they might pan out. I might be wrong, uh, but I just don't see them as being representative. Juan, and uh, if the Omicron is uh, in fact uh, less deadly, that's uh, less uh, little, um, is it possible that uh, this, uh, if, if uh, he, uh, would be become a dominant variant in the world. Uh, is it possible uh, that it will largely solve the problem of, of uh, the pandemic, like like uh, 
substantial uh, decrease of lethality is it uh, is it really a solution to to the pandemic if if uh, the variant we we have uh, the dominant is is like uh, less dangerous it's weaker yeah kind of like what i, I read with the uh, flu right yeah i, I read some some analysis uh, uh, with with a scenario like that that this would be uh, some kind of normalization what do you think about this so um this epidemiologist adam kutarski had a really nice twitter thread that looked at the difference between a variant that's 50% more transmissible and a variant that's 50% more deadly. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially you go through the math and essentially just because the uh, variant that's more transmissible results in so many more cases um, and in particular in a much higher peak number of cases. So in that case, overwhelming hospital systems, uh, you'd probably expect a uh, greater total number of deaths as a result of the more transmissible variant than the uh, deadlier variant. So before we move into the future and think about what signals we're looking to follow with regard to these forecasts and what other questions we should be asking and forecasting about, um, what should policymakers and other officials and, and relevant people and organizations be doing in response to this Omicron variant? We talked about the need of fast-tracking Omicron-specific boosters, but what other measures uh, should be considered and implemented, um, and which ones might not be the most effective given what we're forecasting in terms of um, the early next stages of this variant? Yeah, so one would be to accelerate um, distribution of the doses that we do have that are not Omicron specific, both as boosters um, in countries that are able to give boosters and as first doses in countries that are still rolling out first doses. Um, what we'd still expect there to be um, significant protection that you'd get from booster doses, for instance, against Omicron, uh, even though, again, even boosted individuals will likely. Um, have a big hit in uh, vaccine efficacy, but less so than non-boosted individuals. Um, so yeah, acceleration of booster campaigns and uh, distribution of first doses in the global south. Um, then also just buying time, as much time as possible um, to both accelerate um, the distribution of the non-Omicron specific boosters, um, and then also buying time for Omicron-specific boosters to be manufactured. So ways you can do this are, uh, for instance, more vigorous contact tracing. Um, at this point, I don't think that this might be controversial, but I don't think travel bans are doing all that much at this point, given that there is community transmission in uh, almost all Western countries at this point. So I don't know how much good they're doing. Uh, so the, the, the key intervention there does seem to be contact tracing. Um, maybe. Uh, in position of non uh, of government interventions that are um, not all that uh, stringent and um, affect daily life significantly. So specifically, I mentioned wearing a high quality mask in indoor spaces that that should be considered before uh, resorting to more stringent measures and it would buy us a lot lot of time. Um, and then uh, also uh, acceleration of the authorization and distribution of Paxlovid, uh, which mm -hmm. is uh, the antiviral developed by Pfizer. Um, 
they, according to their interim analysis, it uh, results in an 89% reduction in risk of hospitalization and death, which is an enormous benefit, right? Um, and it's an oral antiviral, uh, so it's very easy to administer, unlike a lot of these monoclonal antibodies that are out there. And it almost certainly is not going to be affected by Omicron just because um, it, it has nothing to do with the, the spike protein of uh, SARS-CoV-2 in particular. It, it targets the replication of SARS-CoV-2 instead. Um, so because of that, I think Paxlovid is going to be an important um, intervention if we, if we approve it. Uh, and distribute it in time, it'll be a very useful countermeasure. On and then, uh, also, oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. No go. Uh, yeah, my last one is just continuing to um, scale up genomic sequencing just to track mm. Omicron and um, so that you can do the contact tracing that I mentioned. And then also it'll be important in the future to identifying any it might be the too next soon Omicron. to discuss this, but yeah, the next, <laughs> the next Omicron. Omicron. <laughs> That's how we get all the YouTube traffic and all yeah. and all the eyeballs. Just a just a thumbnail. The next Omicron forecasting. Yeah. The next yeah. Omicron. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, oh, Nicole, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, um, my my thought was um, uh, because in the article you mentioned that um, uh, Omicron versus Delta. Um, could mean uh, if, if it's uh, three times uh, higher infection risk, we would uh, have a drop uh, of protection uh, from uh, vaccines uh, from eight, uh, around 80% to 40%. So it's, it's very, uh, very substantial uh, reduction uh, if, 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 it, if it really happens uh, to be this this uh, this big reduction. Uh, I think uh, regular. People yeah, I mean, just also... to be clear. Those are my guesstimates for like what's possible. Just trying to outline mm -hmm. a scenario for yeah um, the the yeah. immune evasion, the extent of immune evasion caused by Omicron. But I have no real data to yeah yeah. I remember that that was your your more like a guess from from mm -hmm. from what what we see, but. If it really uh, turns out uh, to, to be true uh, or, or worse, uh, then uh, people should really reconsider their behavior uh, during this, uh, this pandemic because I think um, many people uh, has uh, gotten used to it and uh, to, to this uh, being in pandemic and um, especially after being vaccinated, uh, we, we Many of us feel feel safer, but but with uh, Omicron uh, potentially reducing this this protection that much, uh, I think we should reconsider our behavior. Like like uh, uh, if we decide to go to some uh, bigger gatherings or or uh, what masks we use, uh, as you mentioned, uh, maybe many people in Poland uh, use. Uh, only surgical masks uh, because it's uh, uh, more comfortable and they feel safe because there are, many of them are vaccinated. Uh, especially if, if you were <laughs> if you wear a mask in public places uh, like like in a subway, um, you probably are <laughs> vaccinated uh, because uh, it, um, if you are not, <laughs> you probably won't won't want to use it. So so. Uh, I think uh, this um, new knowledge uh, we have—it's in initial knowledge, like like uh, 
not not uh, we are not very sure uh, but it could uh, be a signal that that we should really as a, as a reg not only governments but but uh, regular people should reconsider their their behavior uh, what do you think uh, Juan about about this is it is it uh, time to to change our ways uh, to feel less less safe with uh, with omicron around so even if we are vaccinated yeah so this is really difficult to answer uh, but i'll i'll start by noting that um, one recommendation that I, I didn't uh, mention in the article, but that is also very useful and will be very helpful going forward, um, is distribution and use of rapid tests. Uh, so, like, say you're like gathering with like family members over the holidays. Um, like a big way to mitigate risk um, of spreading Omicron is to for everyone to take rapid tests right beforehand. My understanding is that. Most rapid tests should work well against Omicron just because they're not, uh, they don't test for the spike protein. Uh, they test for other parts of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, so yeah, I think if not all, then most rapid tests should work. So I, I would recommend to... use of rapid tests like far be before I'd recommend closing of businesses or um, at recommending that people don't gather like we we need a very we need to implement all of these other measures before we even consider those more stringent measures that have a lot of effects that are not <laughs> desirable um so i think the first order of business is getting paxlovid authorized and distributed getting um vaccine manufacturers to start making omicron specific boosters distributing rapid tests getting people to wear high quality masks scaling up genomic sequencing accelerating distribution of first doses to the global south. All of that is, uh, the, the, the consequences from those are pretty much only positive, uh, whereas from closing businesses um, and preventing gatherings, um, yeah, those should be a last resort. But yeah, I mean, they might be necessary at some point to reduce the peak number of hospitalizations, for instance, if it seems like hospital systems are at risk of or in the process of becoming completely overwhelmed. But ideally, through some combination of all, or ideally, all, <laughs> most or all of these uh, recommendations, we won't get to that point. So now that we've talked about the forecasts themselves, I'm curious, you know, what are you looking for um, over these next few weeks, if not months, in terms of updating these forecasts? What signals are you looking out for? Which ones aren't you looking at? Like, what do you think will be the most important for us to make even better forecast about these questions? Yeah, so um, the first thing I'm tracking is how the situation continues to develop in South Africa. So does this uh, rate of case growth and hospitalizations growth, um, does it continue to be sustained for the next few weeks? Um, what percentage of cases go on to be hospitalizations and then deaths um, to try to get an initial understanding of how uh, of Omicron's relative lethality. And does Omicron, um, according to sequencing data, uh, become totally predominant over um, Delta? So like my guess and that of others um, is that it, if, if it's not uh, near 100%, it's at least over 90% of all sequences um, of all cases. And, 
uh, South Africa at this point, but the sequencing data operates on a lag of about two weeks. Um, so we don't know that for sure yet, but I'm looking to see if that pans out, if it increases from the 80 something percent it's at according to sequencing data uh, through the end of November. And if that increases to near hundred percent, which indicates um, its fitness, which is more evidence for uh, it being fitter than Delta. Uh, so that's the main thing I'm tracking for the next week or two at least. Um, Apart from that, I'm also closely tracking the UK, given that they have a very good sequencing program, um, specifically looking at the percentage of uh, tests that are S-gene dropout as a leading indicator of the spread of Omicron. Um, and the UK has a ton of studies planned to look at all aspects of Omicron, uh, its transmissibility, lethality, uh, immune erosion. Um, so I'll be looking for preprints coming out of the UK in particular. Um, so I, I'm largely updating based off of the how, how things play out in those two countries in particular. Yeah, so we'll make sure to have a link to that that thread over on globalguessing.com. And I also want to share, obviously, your Twitter, because I think you are a phenomenal source to follow. Uh, when it comes to the Omicron variant, COVID in general, as well as forecasting related to those subjects, uh, but also a thread that um, you had shared out with, I think, about 30 or 40 accounts that you've been following um, to get good, high-quality signals about this variant. So that'll also be available on the website. Um, so now that we've talked about what you're looking for for these forecasts, I'm, I'm also curious to get your thoughts on what other questions we should be asking and forecasting about when it comes to this variant. It's not that I don't think these questions will still be valuable into the future, uh, but I think we've definitely milked a large amount of the value from these questions already within these two weeks. Um, so do you have a sense in terms of what other high-impact questions we should be asking when it comes to the Omicron variant and how it'll impact the pandemic? Um, because I, I think, you know, Metaculus, again, did a great job with this first set of questions. But if we want forecasting to be a useful tool when it comes to understanding the future, I think it'll be important that we not only have these questions, but that we continue to release more high quality questions that deliver uh, really useful foresight and information for individuals. Yeah, so I, I think the questions that are currently on Metaculus are very useful for, as you said, um, getting at the, our understanding of Omicron um, at the beginning, toward the beginning of our uh, starting to characterize this new variant. Um, but going forward, so assuming some of these pan out, so for instance, um, if it does seem like in a couple of weeks that Omicron will become predominant in the US, um, for instance, it might be very valuable to forecast uh, the peak of cases and hospitalizations and deaths of that Omicron-driven wave, when that will occur. Um, it might also be useful to have some conditionals on um, distribution of Omicron-specific booster doses. So for instance, if like the first 100 million um, Omicron-specific booster doses are available uh, a month sooner, um, what is the expected impact on the number of lives that are saved, something along those lines. Um, mm. The difficulty with those conditionals is that they're um, more difficult to resolve and as such operationalize, but they, they might be useful for guiding um, decision-making. 
once it does become clear that Omicron really is the real deal and is going to become predominant globally and cause uh, new waves of cases. But at this point, I think the existing set of questions are useful for characterizing um, Omicron, considering this is the early stage of our understanding of this new variant. But yeah, more questions are very welcome. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely work on getting more questions up. We'll get the whole Mentaculous Twitter chat group mobilized, so we have some good, more high impact questions um, coming our way when it comes to the Omicron variant. Um, any other thoughts or perspectives you want to share about the Omicron variant? Um, and if not, you did step on to a global guessing podcast, which means because you didn't do this when you came on for the right side of maybe that you will have to make one rapid forecast before you go. Um, but before we get to that, uh, Juan, anything else you want to add about the Omicron variant before we get over to a quick little forecast? Uh, something I just want to push back on is that despite my concern and the concern of many about Omicron and its impact on uh, immunity, for instance, we're not back to square one. This is not early 2020, just so we're totally clear. Um, Vaccine-induced immunity and infection-induced immunity will confer substantial protection, uh, at least against severe disease. Uh, the degree of that protection is a key uncertainty at this point, but it will be some protection. So like I've seen this floating around a lot um, and it's, it's just not the case that we're back to square one, but it is an extremely concerning development. Yeah. So to make your one rapid forecast, we're obviously going to choose the most difficult um, and the most high impact naturally, which is what is the likelihood by 2030 we detect credible evidence of alien life past, present, uh, as well as including techno signatures? Okay, past, present, or techno signatures. So, th would that include like uh, astronomers looking radio off signal at... or okay? Yeah, exactly. Wow, this is difficult. Um, by twenty thirty, and this evidence it would have to be conclusive according to like a consensus of people who study this. Yeah, like a, a survey a, a, of experts or highly conclusive evidence. You know, I don't know if anyone else has, has actually asked for clarification on this. I'm sure someone's had to, given that we've asked it so many times. But um, yeah, like some sort of benchmark for there being like wide agreement that this is evidence. Okay, okay. Um, in that case... I don't know, 10, 11%. All right. Well, I think that is right around what the what the mean or median is for this question. I'm just glancing at some of the data we have here. Most people are between like 2 and 15%, uh, although we do have one mad lad who I think is at a 90% chance. So either they are going to have the best story for the right side of maybe, or we just won't look at their Briar score, uh, at least for this question. Um, so yeah, Juan, I just, you know, want to really thank you for coming on this podcast, coming back on Global Guessing. It's always great to have you on. I think 
Um, you're really smart when it comes to analyzing and forecasting about public health and and other features. And um, I think the article that you wrote was very important, not only for the variant, but also for forecasting. So thank you um, for doing that as well. And I recommend everyone here follow you in what you're doing. Um, anything else you would like to to share or call out before we call it a show? Yeah, um, well, th- thanks for having me. And again, I think like the best thing um, people can do personally is like, if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated or <laughs> that, that too, <laughs> or get your booster if you haven't yet. Um, but then also like advocate for um, governments to order Omicron specific boosters and for uh, vaccine manufacturers to make that switch. Um, so yeah, that, that's my key actionable uh, recommendation. Well, it sounds like a small cost now for a huge benefit down the line. So that's right. My forecast isn't looking too positive on that, unfortunately. Anyway, Juan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. Great. Thanks for having me.